Welcome to New Legacy Radio with Christine Erickson. Our weekly programming serves the growing global community of people without children. We also inform practitioners and institutions who influence policy, organizational culture, and media narratives about issues of concern to our community. Now, on to our show. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for tuning in today. I'm Christine Erickson, your host and founder of New Legacy Institute. Um, New Legacy Radio is brought to you by New Legacy Institute, and we are working toward equity for people without children. Um, That is at least the portal that we come into um, when I'm thinking about today's conversation that I'm very excited about. Um, it It is one portal, one layer, one perspective to help us move into self, other, and the environment when we look at the whole of the world, who we are, and bring curiosity to those conversations and to ourselves, into our self-examination, which um, today's guest, I'm very honored to have Malia Lassi with us today, and she will speak more to this. Um, And first, I just want to say congratulations, Malia, on publishing your first book, which came out today. Um, it's a it's a gift for everyone, truly. And thank you for writing this. Thank you so much, and thank for thank you for having me on. It's it's also an honor to have this conversation be a part of this launch for me. Thank you. Um, for those of you who don't know Malia, um, I, I'll just share a little bit more about her, and you'll learn more during the conversation. She has such a dynamic dynamic perspective and has done such impactful work, to say the least. Um, Malia is an award-winning tenured strategist in diversity and inclusion and a lecturer in the Technological Innovation, Entrepreneurship, and Strategic Management Group of MIT, Um, the, the Sloan School of Management, I should say. Yes, Um, she's the former executive vice president and regional vice president of Berkshire Bank and the creator of several accelerators designed to support minority-owned businesses in the Boston area, as well as the consultancy, the Lazu Group. She is the author of the book newly released just today, From Intention to Impact, A Practical Guide to Diversity, Equity, Inclusion. And, you know, I love launch days because, <laughs> and we're having this conversation earlier in my day than yours, but I know I'm, I'm I can pretty well guess you have a back-to-back day. <laughs> Thank goodness, <laughs> right? Thank goodness. Yeah, yes, yes. I got a back-to-back day. It's a good oh, thing. It's been a um, true blessing. Yeah. So thank you again for being here. And, um, you know, I just want to say for those of you who haven't seen press about this book yet or accessed it, it, it is available now. Um, please get it. I What I appreciate, I'm just going to say quickly, you know, the title, the use of words that when we talk about DEI or workplace culture or just interpersonal culture, communication, we so many words have have trended and left and come back because we can't find other ones, at least in the English language. And I I really love the straightforwardness of this from intention to impact because we've been saying this right. We've we've moved from terms you know understanding the differences between equality and equity, or we hope that we have learned and continue to learn that. And the same with intention to impact. And you know today we are so fortunate to have your expertise, insight, and experience to talk about what does that really mean and 
And how do we get there? Um, she's created a brilliant roadmap, um, no punches pulled. And I think that there is, you know, um, yeah, no excuse for, for a starting place, honestly. So with that, um, welcome again, Malia. And I, I'd really love for you to share with our listeners, you know, a bit about what brought you to writing this book. So much um, has been highlighted and happening in these past few years that brought inequities and racial violence and focus. Not not that it brought it back, but it 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 exploded. It's uh, and yeah. there's some really painful things that I know we'll touch on as that starting point. And I would love to hear that from you. Absolutely. And, you know, thanks again for having me on and hello, everybody. Um, as a, um, you know, as a, um, what is it, a consummate auntie by choice, someone who has, um, you know, chosen to not have children. Um, it's great to know that there is a community. I was <laughs> saying to Christine, I'm like, oh, wait, like we have to get coffee. Um, when do we all meet up? Because <laughs> we have time. Um, so how do we support one another in, in this? And, and you know, it, it gets at this idea of how do you move from the intention of inclusion, right? And mm-hmm. I started writing this book with you know, knowing that most people don't want to exclude, like, yes, we have racists and we have sexists and we have homophobes and, you know, we have um, ableists, right? All of those people, they do exist. But a majority of folks really want to get along with one another. You know, they see themselves as nice people. You know, I hear this from my clients um, a lot, you know, what we're nice people. Like we're not that. Right. And, um, you know, and that's true. They are nice people. Right. And, Mm -hmm. uh, but as we know, even the best intentions, right. Um, can, can fail along the way. And, um, you know, I don't, I I didn't have a grandmother who knitted, um, you know, in my end. So I had a grandmother (laughs) used to say the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Right. (laughs) Um, And that was like one of her (laughs) sayings, right. Whenever you would tell her about an intention, right. Foundational Um, truth. right? Exactly. (laughs) She was more of an impact kind of gal. Um, And, you know, and that really drove me to, you know, George, Floyd hit and we got so many calls, um, you know, around what can we do? What can we do? And, you know, I think that there were a lot of reasons for George Floyd being a flashpoint, but I remember Trayvon Martin, right? I I remember Michael Brown. I remember Breonna Mm -hmm. Taylor. I remember, um, you know, so many, right? And, And it became, you know, I'm now old enough that I realized, oh, wait, this cycle right, that we're now entering with a lot of momentum, right? It's George Floyd was not Rodney King, right? If we think about how much we have changed and what we can talk about, right, in the time. Um, George Floyd's um, murder was also egregious, right? That video, yes, um, you know, what was it just called on your humanity. I mean, like if you didn't see humanity in that, um, you know, I have a great therapist that I will recommend. <laughs> right. Right. Like, um, and so I wanted to help folks in an honest way. And I think, you know, what I appreciate about, you know, you saying about this book, um, holding no punches, you know, someone else was talking about this is not milk toast, right? Um, is I was 
lovingly angry, right? I, mm-hmm. I understood that, again, most people aren't like, yeah, choke George Floyd, right? That, But most yeah. people weren't thinking about George Floyd or anyone who looks like George Floyd until he called for his money, right? And we can't actually get to equity and inclusion if we don't see each other's humanity in day to day. And so I wanted to put out a book that was not metaphoric, you know, that was not, um, you know, uh, that that was not amorphous, right? Um, But that was um, a guide to help you understand this is where we are, this is how we got here, and this is a path forward. Um, and you can either choose it or not. Um, but really, you know, I think for myself, putting it out there um, has allowed me to feel like, um, you know, I've at least offered, right, with 20, 25 years of experience um, in change work, whether that was as an organizer, you know, working for Harry Belafonte or as an executive vice president as a bank or, um, you know, as a consultant for banks as large as State Street, right, who I talk about in the book. Um, they, you, you know, this experience has shown me what works and what doesn't. Um, and so to be able to put that dot on paper, you know, I sort of feel like, here you go, right? Like we, we now, um, let's start from here and let's evolve, right? Let, let's evolve this, right. story, but let's evolve it from an honest place, right? Not from a, a place of kumbaya, but a place of repairing relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And all the layers of bypassing that happened in between. Um, I feel that breath when you take it, you know. Um, I really appreciate your perspective because you're coming from a humane lens first, which is not easy to do. Okay, that's the understatement of, of <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I I have the privilege of, of seeing her as we're speaking. Um, we're connected on Zoom and I... Um, I just think, you know, it's it's running through me just in conversation with you. How do you get how do you get there? How do you become that? How have you become that as a person? Um, from your grandmother's words forward to your own life experience. Uh, you know, I, I feel like almost every decade, right? That there, there were moments where um, I reflected and, um, you know, I, I also want to say that, you know, I was laughing because I think self-reflection, right. It it is a cultural thing and this is why we need diversity, right. Some cultures do it much better than others. Right. Um, and you know, and I was raised, um, Catholic, right, which has a very guilt, self-reflexive, um, but my mother was a recovering Catholic, right? So I was also able to explore why guilt isn't healthy, right? Um, you know, I was the the children of, you know, folks of more of a, you know, feminist anti-war, right? It was, so there, there were all these pieces, but, um, you know, growing up in Honolulu, Hawaii, right, being the product of a biracial relationship, Um, you know, growing up where more people were Asian than, you know, black or white or Latino, um, you know, it, it really helped me understand that coming together, that there's a benefit in coming together. And once I became an organizer and was trained in Kingi and nonviolence, I understood that we have to have empathy even 
for those who are committing violence, right? Even though, even those, and it's not that I feel bad for the cops who killed George Floyd because I don't, um, but I know that most white men aren't like the cop who killed George Floyd. And rather than dismissing all white men, um, if we're going to do that, then we need another plan to just create another another space, right? Because America will never be without its white men. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a lot of richness here. <laughs> yes. Truths are being spoken. Thank you for that. I mean, um, yeah, I mean to come from coming from that, you sort of have that foundational um, bridge and and strength, you know, from that family perspective, and then to move into the world and live your own experiences or experience those things, witness those things, and self reflect. Um, beautiful. Thank you so much for that, Malia. We're going Thank to take a very you. short break, and please stay tuned because we haven't even gotten started yet. We'll be back with Malia Lasu. Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. New Legacy Institute is committed to equitable and inclusive change to recognize the millions of people without children. We invite you to learn more about the Institute at NewLegacyInstitute.com. Join us in creating meaningful and actionable change for our community today. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. New Legacy Radio is a social justice platform for people without children. Our weekly show airs globally and is supported by listeners and readers like you. Your contributions and sponsorship are a unique opportunity to support your community and for our allies, businesses, and organizations to recognize and include people without children. To make your contribution, please go to SponsorNLR.com. We thank you for tuning in and look forward to sharing our platform with you. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. This is New Legacy Radio with Christine Erickson. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. Today we are speaking with Malia Lazu, who published her book, from intention to impact. And we are discussing DEI and racial equity and, and beyond. Um, Malia brings forth uh, just a range and dynamic of insights and perspective that I don't think we always hear put forward. Um, she, which is how she writes her book too. I think that um for anybody who is either in the field or not in the field or hasn't thought about this ever, um, this is the perfect book because it is understandable, it is relatable. And as she spoke to in as we close the first um, segment of the show today, um, 
coming from a perspective, a humane perspective toward people. And it doesn't mean that we accept the behavior or that we, you know, put all our energy <laughs> into fixing things that can't be fixed. Um, however, when I see to those people from my my different perspective, of course, it's, you know, there's a lost humanity, I believe, in perpetrators. And that's a loss of life. That's something that I can grieve as a human yeah. and not necessarily, you know, spend my life trying to convince those people or in, invest, right? right. A grievous harm has been done. However, um, when you spoke to self-reflection and, and your own path, I think there's so much to be said there in a society where we don't pause. And I mean, these are this is a general comment, but we don't pause and things are set up not to pause for ourselves, our own well-being. And it's sort of this question that I always love to ask in my work is, what are you or what are we pretending not to know? And I think that's how we keep operating and we go faster and we go more and people become um, have less energy and get more ill and mental health issues expand and our capacity shrinks. And that makes it also ripe to not be curious, to not to to divide ourselves more because we have such little left and not as an excuse, but as a, an understanding of the landscape, so to speak. Well, and you know, as and a survival just, mechanism. Yes. Yes. Right. I mean, when, when the train is not slowing down and you mm. need to be on the train in order to be successful and not even wildly successful, right. But you need to be on that train to cover rent, to cover food. Yeah. Basic. You know, and the train feels faster the less you have, right? Um, and and it's harder to slow down, right? The the less you have. And so you get into, you know, this scarcity mentality. And I think um, you know, we talked about in the first segment this idea, you know, when I was trained as a Kingian nonviolent organizer. And um, you know, that the the idea of empathy, right? This idea of what is you your you're only as human as you treat others. Right. And so and that does make it hard when you're then talking about your perpetrator. Right. Um, and what that does not mean is that you have to become a doormat. Right. Martin Luther King was not a doormat. As a matter of fact, he had a lot more courage than a lot of other people. Right. I, I mean, courage enough to put his life on the line. Right. So, um, to do this. But what he and what others, what Gandhi asked us was to not become our perpetrators, yes. right? And if, and if I am getting vengeance, right? If I'm, you know, they, they talk about hate and revenge, right? Being a pill that you take, right? That is a poisonous pill for you and you hope the other person yes. dies, right? Like, yes. it doesn't work out that way. Um, and in order to have that kind of understanding, we need space for a reparative process, you know? Yes. Um, and so, so you, th there's a way to think about that at 35,000 feet, right? And and we might get there, right? I mean, you can look at South Africa, right? Doing a mm -hmm. truth reconciliation commission, right? right. That's an example of a reparative process, right? That allows mm -hmm. us to, um, to move on. But I think until then, we all can figure out 
even if it's two minutes a week, right, um, of giving ourselves grace and space, right, of giving ourselves uh, a chance and uh, um, to to forgive ourselves, right, to reflect self-care, right? Let's put on our mask first, right, before we demand it of others. Let's learn it, right? Let's learn it so that we can teach it. Right. And that's where a lot of these conversations break down. You know, I um, I believe that if we're to move forward, it's not going to be because we get rid of all the sexists. Right. Because we get rid of all the racists. Right. We're mm-hmm. we're not. And as a you know, as a black woman, I have slut chains. Right. Like I, I have seen things in a short sighted way. Right. Like, so I think it's so important for us um, to know that if we can, you know, we start by forgiving ourselves um, and then we find space. Um, I also want to talk quickly about you said, I don't need to convince anybody. And that's something, you know, I say all I, I say all the time. Right. Jesus only had 12 disciples. Right. You actually don't need everybody. Right. What you need um, is you need people who actually want to make a change and who are willing to get through the pushback, right? Willing to explain to a straight white male why he's not being becoming irrelevant because we're we're including others, right? You know, I had a woman say to me after a talk, um, I totally get it, but I worry about my sons, right? And mm-hmm. That's a, I mean, that's a really privileged statement that she gets to say, right? She gets to be worried about her sons who are white, who, um, you know, now have a road that um, in certain ways she wants them to have, right? And and yeah. um, it's that scarcity mentality, you know, I mean, the question I asked her is, yeah well, can't we help them be more competitive, right? Like, let, let's help them do this. But, um, you know, so. Yeah, and the assumed, well, and the assumed access and outcome and vision that she's probably held before she even had those children. You know, it's, right. it's not like it starts in a day or, you know, at that point, this this starts from the very beginning of our lives and those influences, those lenses, the perspectives, the institutions right. that influence. And yes, uh, to your point of we can't get rid of all, let, let's say, the perpetrators for to cover everybody. <laughs> um, right. And know. we don't need um, them, thank goodness. Right. Yes, like, yes. Um, you know, we see. Um, you know, there's parts of society that I don't get involved in, right? I'm not a skydiver, right? Like, I'm not going to do that, <laughs> um, you know, but I think that people who want to skydive should be able to do that responsibly, right, without killing the environment, right? right? Um, right. But I don't think in any way it should be stopped, right? Um, and I think we have to get people to understand that, like that my mm-hmm. equity does not diminish your equity. But yes. when you're privileged, equity feels like a step down, right? When you're yes. a king going into a democracy, you're going to feel mm-hmm. a loss of power. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to see the false structure that put you there in the first place, right? Exactly. So, right. Yeah. So there's um, not getting rid of, you know, um, people who are 
perpetuate or perpetrate rather, you know, uh, violence uh, of of all forms and depths. And and yet the structures, I think, you know, how much is it about dismantling and how much is it about moving away and doing the work? And that is what I love about your work because so often we can't get to that conversation and understandably so. It's not a, a you know a negative assessment. It's about how do we get through that part of it so that we can have this conversation, let alone take action, which I think, you know, as as your grandmother aptly said, and you know, as you've written to um, how do we go beyond, intention and and what is impact even meaning what is meaningful impact i always like putting that word in front of it because i, right. I just, it's used what does that mean and to whom that's right mm-hmm. that's right well and this is why you know in the book i talk about the 3 l's right listen mm-hmm. learn and take loving action right that's how you get to impact right i i talk about stage 7 and i say um you know stage 7 is not you telling me about your diversity stage mm-hmm. 7 is the community telling me that you that you do diversity well right it, yes. it it's about you being diversity not doing diversity equity and inclusion right but you're being it um and that's where we want to get to. And you get there by taking loving action, right? So an example of, you know, with George Floyd, right? We have George Floyd. It's this horrific moment and everyone's reacting, right? What can I do? Oh, we're, we're going to pledge money. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Oh, Juneteenth is now a national holiday. See, like we're not down for this, right? But if we as a society actually stopped and we listened first, right? Don't Didn't talk, just heard the crime right? Heard what people were saying. Didn't try to dry tears, right? But just listened, listened to the last 400 years, right? Of of this problem. And then came into the community to learn with them, right? You know, to say, what is it that could help, right? What would give you relief? And to hear them say things like, the police reform bill, which we're now calling the George Floyd police reform bill, but was, you know, mm-hmm. the Michael Brown police reform, right, reform bill right. before then, right? Um, they would have heard things like that. And then the action wouldn't have been Juneteenth as a holiday, right? Um, because at the end of the day, um, that's not what the community was asking for. So America thinks they've done something. We have Juneteenth as a holiday. Is that meaningful impact? No, right? It's important. It's wonderful. It's great, but it's not meaningful and impactful to the murder of George Floyd. No, it's actually shutting down the conversation and it's not, it's not in a listening way, of course. I mean, yes. And I, oh, something that you said about, um, Oh, well, I was thinking as you were speaking, you know, when something heightened or perceived to be heightened, these things happen every day, all the time. Um, uh, When something happens, such as George Floyd's murder, and maybe people who don't normally pay attention are now paying attention or having their own response or their own fear or, or, you know, what have you, or feeling good by doing a donation and never thinking about it again, whatever that, whatever that is. 
um, it it is unfortunate because it stays sort of in this capsule of an incident for a lot of people um, outside of those communities. And I think, as you said, you know, um, it's very powerful what you said, listening to the last 400 years and just listening alone, like we we come in with such projections and owning space. And, you know, I'm, I'm speaking to the white community specifically. And I also love in your work how you speak, you know, you advise so many businesses. And oh, I'm back to the comment you made about step seven. She has seven wonderful steps in her book um, about you know, working within DEI or within your organization and yourself. And um, oh, what was I going to say? Sorry. Um, I, I wanted to note that because that is a, that is the crux in your book. Um, oh, but when we don't look at it, the history as a whole or the continuum in other people's lives, that this is a, a an every moment thinking or a conversation or potential incident if not to experience right. behavior. It's not an incident. It's not a moment. It's not a, you know, a get upset because it, it is would actually outrageous. Yes. A day, right. On average, um, you know, twice a day, right. Black people are being killed by police. Um, and when you're not in that community, you don't realize that. And I think that, is, you know, in the book, we talk about white ignorance, right? And Charles' mm -hmm. exploration around um, an ignorance that does not want to resolve itself, right? Yes. So every time it's the first time, every time this doesn't make sense. Yes. Although in the constitution, it lays out three-fifths of a people. So again, if we reflect, we might be able to see where why um, this is cyclical and never one-offs. Right. Thank you. That's what that's what I was trying to allude to. So thank you. That's <laughs> a question. Brilliant. Exactly. Um, and with that, we will take a very short break and we'll be right back with more. And we'll discuss a little bit more about the how to's, um, what uh, this means in the context of Black History Month and some things that you can do right now. We'll be right back. Thank you. America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. New Legacy Radio is a social justice platform for people without children. Our weekly show airs globally and is supported by listeners and readers like you. Your contributions and sponsorship are a unique opportunity to support your community and for our allies, businesses, and organizations to recognize and include people without children. To make your contribution, please go to SponsorNLR.com. We thank you for tuning in and look forward to sharing our platform with you. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. 
New Legacy Institute is committed to equitable and inclusive change to recognize the millions of people without children. We invite you to learn more about the Institute at newlegacyinstitute.com. Join us in creating meaningful and actionable change for our community today. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. This is New Legacy Radio with Christine Erickson. Now, back to the show. We're speaking with Malia Lansu, and today is the publishing day for her book, Publication Day, the publishing book, uh, Publication Day, and I really thank you for, if you're tuning in, um, this is a gift and honor to have her with us here today, and please do... um, check out this book, not just check it out, but please read it. <laughs> um, I, I, it is, it's for everyone. Even uh, if you're a, an experienced practitioner, you know, sometimes it's, it's small shifts in language, right? Um, what you said earlier about being DEI, not doing it. And I think that's true for all of the layers spoken and unspoken of, of what we're discussing today. It's about how do you be accepting versus, you know, that we used to use, or I hope we still don't, but, you know, how to tolerate people versus accepting them, right. you know, versus um, having reverence for humanity, for other species, for, you know, we can have the whole world conversation. Um, but tolerance is not really, you know, it's like the bare minimum, but it's not, it's not a goal. It's like that that has all this energy and action that comes with it, right? Conscious and unconscious. Um, well, and it was the start, right? Like, because yes. tolerance yes. was movement. Now, it wasn't the final, right? But it was the right. step. And, you know, in the, the goal-setting chapter in the book, mm-hmm. when I was going through the first draft of it with the editor, um, you know, she said, you you don't really spend a lot of time talking about how to set goals. You talk about a lot of pre-work before you set the goals. And it was a great observation because it was true. And it was also how I see goal setting, right? I can set a goal. You know, I have a goal to work out three to four times a week, right? And I have sneakers and sometimes I buy myself new sneakers if I need some momentum to get myself (laughs) right. right? Um, But that doesn't mean that I want to, right? Like, and if I look at my weekly Mm. schedule, I can say where, right? Where are you going to do this, right? You have this idea that you want to do. Where in the schedule are you actually going to fit it in? Um, Mm. You know, and if it is nine o'clock at night, are you actually going to do that? Probably not, right? And, And you have to get really real about the goals you're setting. And I think so often because of the guilt, because of the fear, because of this idea of, I don't want people feeling hurt, right? I don't want people feeling excluded. I don't want people feeling they don't belong. And I don't want to feel like I don't belong. So, you know, we're we're now all in a mess, right? Because we're not coming from our best selves at all because we're filled with anxiety at this point, right? And then we go to set a goal, right? And the goal is we want to fix the problem. Yes. Right? And, you know, and so in the book, I actually use the example of my friend, Michael, who decided to run a marathon, 
right? Because it's a very similar goal to set. I'm going to run a marathon. Sure. (laughs) Go ahead. And as he started training for the marathon, what he realized was he was not about to run a marathon, that what he actually had to do was get himself healthier so that he could run chunks of miles at a time. Right. Um, And so in order to do that, he had to eat different foods. Right. Well, now he was making his family need to change what they do. Right. The girls don't want to eat healthy. Right. Like, they you know, right. Um, You know, his wife would appreciate the support in the morning, getting the girls to school rather than him, you know, spending however many hours to get through his like three miles because he's not in shape. Right. Like um, all of that had to change for him to reach this goal. And, you know, I decided to end that example with a quote from his wife, right? Because ultimately she was the most, you know, in certain ways she was the most affected. I mean, I know Mike's knees were also affected, right? But she talks about how what she saw was her husband becoming serious and reaching something that was hard and what he had to change to become that right? Who he had to become to run a marathon was a different person than he was when he decided to run the marathon. And that was actually a huge benefit to their marriage, to their family, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And as Sarah says, you know, and now he runs with the girls, right? Now we, we all actually got healthier, but he had to become a better communicator, which is how, what? Why did he want to run a marathon, right? Mm, but right. in order to run that marathon, the house had to run differently. Right. Right. And right. so it was in that, um, you know, so you set these big goals, but no, have the reflection to be able to, you know, make the small baby steps. So you can say, we want to have 50% women hired. And yes. then you can look at, your hiring practices and see that seniority plays a really big role in, you know, Mm -hmm. people getting promotions, right. Um, Which might make it hard to then get 50% women at higher ranks because you can bring them in. But if it's seniority and we've been men, then most of the people with seniority are men, then how do women, right. So you already have barriers in your culture and in your, in your traditions that you call sound strategy that are actually barriers and excluding people. Um, and so, you know, just like Mike's knees said, nobody, we ain't running a marathon, not today. Your middle managers are saying, nah, buddy, we're not doing DEI, not today. I don't have the time. We're not giving you time. I don't have the resources, right? I don't care whatever it might be. Um, and you actually need to then have steps for each one of those things. And that's what's going to make yes. your organization stronger. That's what's going to make your leaders better leaders, more curious, more EQ, right? Mm-hmm. So often mm-hmm. managers mm-hmm. are managers because they're high performers. Mm-hmm. And that's not the way in the 21st century, right? Yes. Employees and consumers do not want to be bullied and they don't want to be belittled. Right. And so, you know, this idea of how do we actually bring people in means I'm going to have to change the way I run a business. Right. The way I my my know it all has to actually have some I don't know space in it. Right. Uh, To me, that's a facet of, of great leadership is not knowing. I mean, 
I, I, I taught, I used to teach international business classes at university. And um, I remember the very first time I said, I don't know. And there was a collective gasp in the room. And I was like, well, I don't, do you, you know, like who wants to check that out and bring it back? And <laughs> I, I thought, my gosh, these, they're, they're seniors. These are capstone classes. And like, no one's ever said they, they don't know it was, and it wasn't expected. And I thought, wow, that's the whole point of education to me. And it's not, how could I have the, all the answers, you know, and why would I lie if I don't or what, whatever, but it right. was, well, and, it was, <laughs> right. And cover your ass culture is so yes. big. That's why yes. Yes. Right? we're trained yes. to, you know, this is why, you know, Brene Brown's work around vulnerability, right. Becomes so mm. revolutionary, right. Because um, as you said, we're told go, go, go. And the last thing I want is gasps. Right. It, and that's, and you know, and yes. that it does take good leadership, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. it takes a confidence. And, mm-hmm. you know, when, when I went into the bank, um, you know, the, the CEO of the bank, I mean, he in no way was, you know, progressive. I mean, he was a banker, right? I mean, in no way was he, um, you know, trying to, um, start running a nonprofit that, that wasn't his goal. Um, but what he understood was that the markets that were going to take this regional bank into the 21st century were different markets than the ones that made it successful in the 20th century. And that there were very few people who represented those markets in the bank. And that therefore he needed someone who could help bring in and have that understanding, right? And it was because Mm -hmm. he understood that he didn't know that we were able to do the work we do. And, you know, now the bank is run by a CEO of color, right? Um, there's people of color on the board. Uh, there, there's, you know, there, there's impact, right? That, that happened from that. Um, and, you know, that was a straight white male, right? Who could have very easily said, nah, Right. I'm just and, and held on to what he, what already was and force it. And, you know, all, all of those things that are, happening. I mean, uh, as we were talking about earlier, you know, perpetrators is the the general word for all the things. Um, uh, You know, I I think about that too, from that perspective of humanity. I I think the the weight of being the uh, survivor of those things, whether it's on a daily basis or egregious periods of time, um, is, is one thing. The other side is about, wow, what does that take to every moment think I have to do this and this and this to control? And it's it's completely illogical, like from my perspective, like as just as a from a business perspective, you know, as you were speaking to the to the bank, you step back and it's like, this isn't sustainable. Like you know it's going to end or it's going to break or you're going to break, or you know, so the harm is is being done differently, completely differently, and not in the same depth at all. But to everyone in the structures that try to control, where you know that are based on the absence of consent, is is what I, exactly. I usually speak to. Who you have you know? to be, yes. Right? Who you have yes. to be. You know, I I pull out in the book Frederick Douglass's observations of his mistress. Right. So here was a woman who 
inherited slaves and then slavery is now becoming this thing and now control your slaves we can't have slave riots right beat them make them they're becoming more Mm -hmm. and as they're needing to do that she starts being more angry she starts drinking more her husband starts drinking more she starts getting depressed right the person you have to be to actually oppress people Right. Um, and and at times you don't understand, you know, you're just trying to keep up with the Joneses. Right. Just trying to keep up yes. with class. And so you don't understand. But what it means, you know, to grow up um, with that privilege does come at a cost. And I think part of the cost that we're seeing are the diseases that you see in these communities. Right. Um Things like school shootings, things like eating disorders. I'm not trying to say only white people have. I'm not trying to say that. But what I'm saying is there there are percentages that weigh heavily in the conversation. Exactly, right? That that you see certain communities are overrepresented in, right? And, you know, things like eating disorders are control, right? It's it's about you trying to control something, right? And so we all suffer because we don't have a a path to equity forward right now. And whenever you have to exclude someone and and young people are seeing this, that's why they don't want to, right? Like they want, um, you you know, they want everyone to be a part and um, because of that pain, right? And and they see that that's not the solution. Anything that hurts Mm -hmm. this can't possibly have an outcome. Right. And, and I think, you know, it's it's always curious to me when things emerge in, in the media or a conversation or again, incidents and someone is saying, well, I want I don't want to do this for this type of customer. Let's say, you know, like the the, ba- the, the bakery incident with the gay couple, for example. And it's it, it's isolated into that. And it's like, wow, we're looking at people group by group by group and saying yes or no. What is that? Like you on some level believe in oppression and you fear something. And yes, the scarcity mentality spoke to your own. Yes. Right. Like like you need your straightness to be so reaffirmed. Yes. That identity. Something that's not. And as, as someone who is straight and does not need affirmation on that. I I can't imagine mm-hmm. how that must feel, right? How it must feel that someone, you know, that someone wants to live differently than I do. To see that as an assault on me, um, when it has nothing to do with me and it doesn't hinge on my rights or, you know, my ability to to do to live the life I live has to be so depressing. You know, I would hate to be at a dinner party with these people. It's probably miserable. Yes. Um, on that note, um, I'm so I'm so sad that we have to wrap up <laughs> because we've just gotten this started. Thank you for a fabulous conversation, for being here on your special publication day, Malia. I so appreciate it. And we will have to continue this conversation again. Um, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. And please um, look into how we all can seriously go from intention to impact and start today. There is nothing to wait for. Until next time, take good care. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to New Legacy Radio. 
We hope this show has given you thoughtful context and insight to better connect with our community. For more information about the Institute or to share your questions or comments, find us on any of our social media platforms or simply go to newlegacyinstitute.com. New Legacy Radio, Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 